Are you ready to jump into some true crime docs, crime thrillers, and more? Check out our website for an extensive list of our favorite movies and shows at thesirenspodcast.com slash watch, and find our favorite true crime and thriller books and authors, some covered on the show, at thesirenspodcast.com slash author alley. You can even find special deals for Amazon Music, Audible, Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, Showtime, and even Grubhub. If you're looking to jump in immediately, check out our pinned Facebook post for some streaming service free trials on us. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. Gross incompetence or a deranged sociopath. From 2011 to 2013, Dr. Death was accused of injuring 33 out of 38 patients within only two years. Two of those patients died. Today, for our season three finale, I have put together a round table of guests to discuss Dr. Christopher Dunch, a Texas neurosurgeon with a license to kill. With 17 years of training, how could a surgeon be so incompetent? Or was he? My guests today include, once again, my wonderful husband, Rick Rollins. <laughs> he is a paramedic whom you have heard on other episodes this season. And I believe his medical knowledge will come in handy on this episode. Limited though it may be, I am no neurosurgeon. Uh, secondary, Emma Waters. Uh, tell me, you have a degree in psychology? I do, with a minor in sociology. And I was also a paralegal for about 10 years. So I've got a little legal knowledge. You did... Okay, so you and I both have um, paralegal skills. Yeah, some skip math skills. Um, last but not least, we have Bill. Hello. <laughs> Bill Hello. has absolutely no medical knowledge. None whatsoever. Or, I have seen like two episodes of House. Or, you don't even take good care of yourself. It's not true. at all. Or not legal at all. knowledge. Uh, nope. I think you're real handsome. You probably have a the, warrant. <laughs> out for I, I you. you wouldn't even know. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Actually, Bill is more like me and likes to stay behind the scenes. He's probably wishing he was just sitting back <laughs> just recording this instead is this like of <laughs> uh, is this like in the olympics but they just have like a regular dude yes so yeah, bill is I'm gonna play an integral chair. part here in this episode because we're gonna be talking about so much legal jargon and um a lot of uh medical jargon that we want to make sure bill understands <laughs> which i will not so Added bonus, <laughs> Bill does not like gore at all. Cannot not stand in the sight of blood. Yeah. No. Yeah. Can't not. stand the thought of muscle tearing or bone shattering or bleeding of any kind. It's only good love in the movies. This. Yeah. Yep. So when we describe in graphic detail <laughs> most of yeah. these uh, crimes, yeah. Bill's going to, uh, well, he's going to vomit on the microphone. Probably. Probably. <laughs> 
We're going to start out with Christopher Dunch's early life. He was born in Montana on April 3rd, 1971, and spent most of his youth in Memphis, Tennessee. Gross. <laughs> his, <laughs> That's the real tragedy. <laughs> Disgusting. His father, Donald, was a physical therapist and Christian missionary, and his mother, Susan, was a school teacher. And he is a graduate of Evangelical Christian School in the Cordova suburb of Memphis, where he starred in football. What's I, happening? I, 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 all right. <laughs> You're zoning out already. No. Just I, it's, uh, so. <laughs> all right. So he played football for Jesus. He, he, yes. Mm. Yeah. We're off to a great start, okay. by the way. So he initially attended Millsaps College to play Division Three college football. Uh, he later transferred to Division One Colorado State University. I have no idea what any of that means. What in the Kentucky Fried Fuck <laughs> is a Millsaps College? I don't know, but it makes me think of... Is it Ronnie Millsaps? <laughs> God, I hope so. I hope they have a statue so. of him on the lawn. Who knows, Can you imagine? Like the mascot <laughs> is just a bigger foam Ronnie Millsaps. God, I hope so. That would be great. So, apparently, his... High school was small enough for him to be the star football player. But when he went to college, a lot of former teammates actually said that he trained really hard, but he sucked at the game. Mm. <laughs> so um, he actually, I believe, needed a um, football scholarship in order to stay where he was. But he and, sucked at football. And he sucked at football. Well, it was right. so, just good enough. <laughs> yeah, yes. so he had to return home to attend Memphis State University, which is now University of Memphis. Having exhausted his football eligibility, he decided to switch to a career in medicine. Because if you're not good at football, you should be really good at neurosurgery. It's only two jobs in the world that I know of, <laughs> football player and doctor. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So he completed his undergraduate degree in 1995 from the University of Memphis, and then he continued on to an ambitious MD-PhD program. In 2010, he completed the MD-PhD and neurosurgery residency programs at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center and subsequently completed a spine fellowship program at the Sims Murphy Clinic in Memphis. So just to go over that really briefly, how much school is that? That's a lot of school. That's a lot, right? Um, Yeah, technically. So I know that to obtain your doctorate, you've been in college for a minimum of eight years. Yeah. Uh, technically, by this point, I believe it was 15 years of schooling. So, post-doctorate is residency. Yeah. Post-residency yeah. is fellowship. Yeah. So, you got five years minimum residency, and I assume two mm-hmm. to three for fellowship? Something like that, So, yeah. 15 to 16 fucking years? Well, he did his surgical residency at the University of Tennessee in Memphis. He spent five years studying neurosurgery and a year studying general surgery. So during and during that time he ran two successful labs and raised millions of dollars in grant funding. Not too shabby. Well, Not here's the shabby. deal. During all of that time for his residency, he completed less than a hundred surgeries on his own. I'm sorry? Typically yeah, a neurosurgery resident pers- participates in 
like at least a thousand surgeries. A general yeah, surgery yeah, participates yeah, yeah. in over the course of the residency of surgeries. Yeah. So yeah. How did he, less than a hundred. Less than a hundred. How in did he get away with that? Five years of residency. That's a great question. That is a really great question. You are welcome. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah. Around 2006 and 2007, Dunch began to become unhinged. According to Megan Kane, who was an ex-girlfriend of one of his friends, she saw him eat a paper blotter of LSD and take prescription painkillers on his birthday. She also said that he kept a pile of cocaine on his dresser in his home office. Well, that's just careless. Dude knows how to party, <laughs> right? A pile of cocaine? A, that's, quote, a pile of cocaine. a pile of cocaine? Well, yeah. I mean, the pile Scarface is the status. Pile. Like, if you just got it in a container, anyone can do that. Good right? You know? You gotta have a pile, you know, man. You just have an open pile. What are the... Me- it goes bump, line, pile? I, pff, I don't know, man. I don't do drugs. Like you? I would think it's just <laughs> Big on drugs. He's I'm right, asking you yeah. about bump line pile. And he's doing cocaine right now. <laughs> right now. Watching right now. So gross. God. He won't share. <laughs> she also recalled a LSD cocaine-fueled night of partying between her, her ex-boyfriend, and Dunch, where after the end of their all-night party, like into the sunrise, um, they witnessed him put on his lab coat and go to work where he would do surgeries. All right. Good, good work ethic. You right? would think that his, his numbers would have been higher than <laughs> just doing all kinds of surgeries. You would think. So he was actually suspected of being under the influence of cocaine while operating during his fourth year of residency training. And at that time he had refused to take a drug test. Can you refuse as a doctor? Yeah, you can refuse a training? drug test at any time. In, well, I mean, in like anywhere. Well, I mean, well, I, I know you, you can just refuse it, it but I mean, and then doesn't still mean there won't be consequences. Be, yeah. No. yeah, yeah. So Here's did he get kicked out of school? No, it's true. But uh, neurosurgeons are incredibly well sought after, mm-hmm. especially spinal surgeon specialist neurosurgeons. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're like, it's okay. No, but they're like, it's more of a hassle to put anything on paper for him yeah. because they have these accreditations they need to keep with their hospital to be able to tell people that they have a certain level of skill they can provide to the public. Okay. So if something gets documented that their lead rock star neurosurgeon is cokehead, you might lose that accreditation. And if you do that, you lose the ability to make money off those massive surgeries and go to another hospital. Okay. Yeah, so what they did, because he refused to test, um, they just kind of assumed it was true and they sent him to a program for impaired physicians so rehab just for physicians yes yeah he remained there for several months before being allowed to return to his residency but every all of his residency after that was supervised I guess that's a little little bit of an improvement. I'm guessing somehow he finagled out of a bunch of his surgeries before this, and then when he ha- actually had to be supervised is is like where he racked up this hundred because someone's watching it, you know. Okay. So I actually have let me turn this up. I have a, some audio of his supervisor from his fellowship program talking about his drug problem. We're going to listen to it. 
the year before his chief year, he was on my service, and I got a phone call from the hospital administration saying that some woman had anonymously placed a phone call saying that she just wanted us to know that he liked to do drugs before he went to operate. And so I said, well, fine, send him down to the employee health, I'm get his urine checked. And he went down and and uh, checked in and said, I can't pee right now, I'll be back in an hour, and disappeared for several days. And when he showed back up, obviously that prompted referral to the impaired physician's group. The rest of his chief year, obviously, he was, he was in a sheltered setting where he wasn't operating independently, he was always operating with him and that sort of thing. So it was, it was just something that made us all nervous. So that was his previous super. We want to believe that this this man is, I mean, caught and knows he's caught. And this is yes. this is now. This yes. is this early in the timeline. Yes. Yeah. Like, all right. So we've recognized because I, I I think it's very important here that we look at not only all the crimes that happened, but at what point they could have been discovered, stopped, and or treated. Right. I would so also... Is, he's still a student at this point, isn't he? Yes. Okay. That was his fourth this year of day residency. one. He's never yeah. murdered yeah. He a human before. Yeah, okay. yeah. This is it. I would also like to believe that during that time when he got back from this program that they sent him to and were, were supervising him, apparently... He did not do one single thing alone. I would like to think that those supervising physicians knew that he was doing things correctly, at least. I, yeah, I would okay. hope so. Here's the thing on that. Now, a lot of skill treatment in medicine uh, doesn't really start with me handing you the scalpel and saying, okay, go ahead and cut the ileum tissue and repair it back to the right. lystat. It's going to be yeah. me standing over the body and you standing directly behind me and you're going to watch my hands. Right. I'm going to cut this piece. This is the piece. This is why I'm cutting. This is exactly why. I'm not right. going to let you do this now. I'm not going to let you do this the next 40 times that yeah. I do it. Yeah. I'm going to let you do it at around 100 times of watching me do it. So, so I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've seen enough different cases of people right. to still identify these structures. So when they yeah. say these um, surgeons have participated in a thousand over a thousand thousands where it's that it's most of them were probably supervised not actually doing the surgery themselves or maybe um, assisting during the surgery but not performing a hundred percent so there's three phases of medical training there's observation practice and supervised Mm -hmm. okay in the observation phase you watch me in supervised i watch you and then in practice i watch you and i don't help that's it so in the supervised portion, I will literally, it's so frustrating to, from a medical standpoint, performing any minor surgical procedure to have a man standing behind you, touching your hands with his hands and going, no, you're doing it, you're holding your hand weird, like turn it a little bit, to, what are you doing it like that? Everything that you're doing. So like you ghost. hundred percent, except that it's a human body. Uh, one of the uh, so you can kiss them. You can kiss them <laughs> if you want. To. Like one of the most commonly used ones that we do in our field is IVs. I mean, it's not. It doesn't sound like an in, an invasive procedure, but it is. We take a little needle and we put it in your vein. Sounds easy enough, right? Everyone's body 
is different. Now, there are landmarks that can show you or guide you towards where a vein should be, but until you recognize the difference with touch, with uh, by recognizing it by sight, or recognizing it by different signs. Like, for example, uh, there's this misconception that uh, African-American men and women, their veins are more difficult to locate than Caucasian men and women. That's not true at yeah. all. Um, that makes no sense. The biggest difference that I would say makes it more or less difficult is uh, an overweight person versus an underweight person. That yeah. That is infinitely easier to find it in an underweight person than an overweight person. And once you've touched enough to know that the anticubital vein in your elbow is always just above your elbow and you know that spot, you know that landmark, you know where the skin bends, then once I realize you know that, I'll stop telling you exactly where to poke the person and I will supervise you while you poke the person. Right. That point, you're in practice. So thousands and thousands, Mm -hmm. every day of your residency should be you running room to room to room for 12-hour, 14, 16, 20-hour hospital shifts following around people that make more money than you and begging them to let you just watch them. <laughs> yeah. And you would be so frustrated by how 90% of the time they're like, I don't really have time for your nonsense right now. Can you go stand way over there and watch me? Because I don't need you in my, yeah. you know, I don't want you in my bubble. In my business. And, yeah. Yeah. So thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Yeah. <laughs> that that should be. Less than 100 is ridiculous nonsense. Yeah. For five years, to be there five years and you have less than 100. That's I can't so fathom that. I can't fathom that. Suspicious. We're going off the assumption that the less than a hundred were all observations, probably. They had they, to be. They, yeah. From what I'm about to tell you, I feel like they had to have been. Maybe but. he did like a studied phase where he did supervisory, and and was able to practice in a cadaver lab. Maybe yeah. he's counting those. Okay. Yeah. But even still, I mean, that that is rare to have them just be like, all right, this guy died. Why don't you go practice a whatever on him? And I wonder, so I'm wondering if um, each one of these needs to be, like, signed off on. Like, Absolutely. every time you perform. Like, no, you don't I understand. Don't so. Every single medical skill you ever perform in right. your practice or observation phase, you need to have someone else tell an adult that you did it. You right, can't so, just take your word for it. So my yeah. question is... Was he forging some of that? That's what I think. See, yeah. I think he had to be. Yeah. I think he had to be. But how does like how would he go about forging that? I mean, it's just a signature. Just a signature. But isn't it a other people's? Wouldn't stamp. it be the supervisor's signature? Here's he's the thing. Seen, well, yeah, he's seen it before. In the clinical portion of it, uh, you're you you're, can you're, fall through the cracks. Yeah, you absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, you're not the only resident in this residency program. There might be. 30 doctors wandering yeah, around Yeah, and there probably was. Yeah. All those papers, they go to one dude's desk, two dude's desks at max three. Yeah. And so they're looking and they're going, all right, observe by whatever. Because he'll, you know, you print the name of who you're observing that day. And in some cases, the sheet will have that you printed. Here's our guy. I was with Dr. White. I was with Dr. Brown. I was with Dr. Black. I was with whoever the fuck you were with. And then, then they just look next to it and they see whatever and a B. And they're like, whatever. I don't care. Because okay. these doctors yeah, it's are signed off on whatever. Well, I mean, they're signing off on it right after the surgery. I mean, what right do you think they're going to go to every single person and be like, "Hey, did you sign off on?" No, I thought he had a supervisor following him for his observations. They do from know. a desk in their yeah. office of okay. the college, yeah. and you yeah. can imagine how well that's, that's a good point. point. Yeah, yeah. especially yeah. what? How many years ago was this? 10, 12 years. Uh, ago? This was two thousand ten. Yeah. yeah. So, 
yeah, so. Just too much faith in the system, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. That's what this whole case is about. All yeah. of the, uh, all of the. Well, I mean, it's just because he was kind of, you know, they're watching him already because of shady, not, not shady behavior, but. Exactly. You know. That's, that's exactly yeah. my so point. Because you would in, think that they would watch him harder. And if you said neuroscientist is so hard to, to come by, you would, you would think, think that that would be even more eyes to put upon him. Instead, but you have to look at it from a different point of view. I think what they thought was, he's still here. He must be doing better. He must be doing Well, yes. and it's not just that. Medical students are some of the most high-stress students you will ever meet in your life. Oh, I'm sure. In their mind, they already pass or fail, have hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt lined out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, administration has already chewed your ass once. They know that if another piece of paper comes across my desk that has your name on it, you're, you're yeah. fucked. You're burnt. Well, and you also, so, you also have to consider the fact... They're counting on your fear. You also have to consider the fact that he was not reported by a colleague or, or a supervisor. He was reported by an anonymous phone call that said that this person had partied with them, so they have no way to tell who this person was or where the complaint was coming from. So Who did they call? The police or the hospital? The hospital. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll yeah, call they your residency don't. program. And, and, and a lot of that gets swept under the rug because, oh, he... You know, she pissed off her boyfriend. Exactly. And, yeah, prank and said, Oh, I yeah, know yeah. she was doing drugs. I check her and they go, Hey, especially if it was a woman that called, was which it? it was. It was oh. a woman who called. So, but I thought they were already taking that that seriously by oh, 100% did. Under. They did. Oh. But then they, they brought in this nerdy little researcher guy who wants to be a neurosurgeon. They sat him down and said, Your whole fucking future is on the line. If you fuck up one more time, yeah. you're done. You're out of here forever. So keep it in line. So it was and, a, a threat, and that's all. And in their minds, they're like, all right, we scared that little nerd. He'll never be back in here. Because you don't yeah. medical students, they base their entire futures on this. Some of them mm-hmm. are first generation, even college graduates, let alone doctors. So they, they already know what, what's on the other side of the desk, the weight that the student is holding. So a cocaine thing like that, I mean, I can't imagine how much they reamed his ass in that room. And it probably, in their minds, now he's sociopathic, so he followed all the rules and played all the roles then when he left the offices he could do whatever he wants because he knows what they know alright they've scared me they won't look at my name again okay these are people that want to build careers here they want to start here and their entire future can be blown apart right there at the base level so they know that you're going to be on your best well behavior. I mean yeah. he wasn't too worried about point. it because he started up a relationship with a woman named Wendy Renee Young oh Wendy they ended up having two sons together, and um, she actually remained with him through this whole entire thing that we're about to talk about, despite all of the things and constant domestic violence from, like she said, constant domestic violence within yeah, the relationship. Damn. So he uh, initially focused heavily on the PhD half of his degree. His name appeared on several papers and patents, and he took part in a number of biotech startups. When he met Young, Dunch was already over $500,000 in debt. Woof. Yeah. Good Um, Lord. I mean. Yeah. So how do you uh, how do you make money real quick? You become a neurosurgeon. <laughs> no, you need drug wrong. money. Oh. If you need drug money, you got to become a neurosurgeon. That's you're not wrong. Get out of debt. Get my drugs. Become a neurosurgeon. So he decided to turn to neurosurgery. 
Um, and in 2010, he moved to Dallas. He persuaded Young to come with him, and she agreed. She had actually grown up in the Dallas area, so she wanted to go back home. And upon applying for work, he looked extremely qualified on paper. He'd spent, at that time, a total of 15 years in training, so medical school, residency, fellowship, and his curriculum was 12 single-spaced pages long. Yeah. So he also claimed to have graduated, he claimed to have graduated magna cum laude from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital with a doctorate in microbiology, a program that the hospital actually didn't offer at the time that he allegedly attended. So we're already seeing your uh, stuff. your forgery argument is starting. Yeah. To see, sound see, pretty see? Prominent. right? Yeah. See, it's starting to sound pretty prominent. <laughs> yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, you remember when Subway used to do the the stamps, you know? Oh yeah, on the card. Yeah, I used to print those off and get free sandwiches. <laughs> so, oh no, Bill, you I'm admitted that. The, you think people are coming Bill. after you, Bill? No, Bill, you think? Bill, that, no, not like this. It's it's pretty much the doctorate same. in microbiology. It's the same as the Subway stamps. <laughs> 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 a card to get a five dollars sandwich. Well, it just Are goes to show you, you that him? You people like... don't care. Like no, they'll just take your word out. They just take your word. Out. <laughs> but, but I think but the, no, yeah. that's the actually a good point. Like, it's five five yeah, people don't care. No, but that's sandwich. actually a good point. If you get someone who is just like, man, I've signed eighty-seven of these today. Like, I don't know if I signed his. Who who cares? Like, just let him in. What's just, he gonna yeah. do? Murder somebody? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, he graduated oh. cum laude or whatever. And yeah. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. Cum yeah. cares. <laughs> or whatever. He don't, I don't care. Oh, it's my last week. I've checked out. Yeah. I mean, you got to wonder how many perfect moments like that uh, was it. Were they just like, oh, that sounds yeah, good. Yeah, just a snowball effect of these perfect, yeah. So he focused on his research for a while, but was recruited from Memphis to join the Minimally Invasive Spine Institute in North Dallas in the summer of 2011. That's a big deal. Minimally Invasive Minimally Invasive Spine Institute. That means Mm -hmm. not major surgeries. No, we're talking about uh, mostly they'll do... Inpatient, outpatient. Yeah, mostly they'll do like... Arthroscopies? uh, Well, kind of, but instead of laying the... Instead of laying the patient face down on the table and then opening up the entire back to go in and renew and, you know, repair anything like that, they'll come through the front of you and make very small incisions. Like re- th- really small stuff. I thought back surgeries all came from the front. Uh, some no, of them no. do, no, unless no, no, no. Uh, some, some of them some of them do come through the front, some come through the back. It really just depends on what's being repaired. Um, especially okay. when it comes to disc repair. Okay. You go to the, Go through the back. All right, so after he arrived in town... Go to the front, you wrap around the heart. (laughs) Get out of here. Well, in the game, he's always laying face up with, like, the water on the knee. Oh, my God, are you talking about operations? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, no. No, no, I had a family member who had some kind of surgery. Bill, stop it. And they... uh, Touched the sides and shocked the shit out of (laughs) him. Exactly, that's exactly what happened. His nose was so red when he came home. Oh, my God. No, and it was uh, some kind of back surgery, or maybe it was like a kidney or something, but they're pretty much like almost cut in half. They're going from the top. It was whatever surgery. It might have just been whatever particular surgery that was. I guess so. I thought thought they didn't want to cut the back muscles. 
thought we, that was the thing you didn't well, want to you, do. you definitely never want to sever muscle tissue if you're yeah, doing yeah we, we are going to talk about a bunch of different ones and and it they're all performed differently <laughs> so um all right so after he arrived in town he secured a deal with baylor regional medical center at plano and was given surgical rights at the hospital he joined baylor regional medical center at plano which is now called Baylor Scott and White Medical Center. I don't know why I felt like you needed to know that. As a minimally a minimally invasive spine surgeon with a salary of $600,000 a year. Good. Plus bonuses. Lord. Yeah, and he is right out of college, right out of medical school. Okay, let's let's consider now like another point where he could have been stopped. In my mind, Dunch should have looked around and went Okay, this is a real deal. Like, they're going to turn me loose. They're going to pay me a half of a million dollars a year to do these surgeries. I don't really know what I'm doing. He was... I need to say something. It sounds like he had... But he's too deep. But that's the thing. He he would never admit that he doesn't know what he's doing because he's a narcissist. It's that... As a matter of fact, a lot of people say over, like, we heard him say this, he's told us that he was the best neurosurgeon in town and, like, all this other stuff. Yeah, it seems like the the bonuses and the money just feeding that ego. Exactly. Yeah, that ego was a problem to begin with. You're not going to tell anybody. That's a red flag. There's your narcissism and your sociopathy shining through. Let me ask you something about that, by the way, uh, because I I don't deal a lot with psych, but sociopathic and narcissistic, the, the major triggers for that those those are a part of his behavior forever right yes that's not something that like uh you can he fix. slowly grew into no or those... is that something that a traumatic event triggered that and now he's just that way forever uh, traumatic childhood can cause sociopathy these traits uh they start when you're around 15 and then just is kind of like red flag after red flag so by the time he graduated college he was like full-blown Sociopathic, narcissistic man. So we're already star quarterback at BFE College or wherever the fuck. Oh, yeah. Then we went to college ball and got our ego hampered. Right. And you know what I'm thinking? He also played football for a long time. How many traumatic brain injuries did he have? Yeah. And that can also kind of roll into... Yeah, that's a good question. Would have exacerbated a lot of his mental illnesses. Uh Well, I will say in his early tenure at Baylor Plano, he made poor, uh, like really poor impressions on his fellow surgeons. A (laughs) a veteran vascular surgeon, Randall Kirby, recalled that Dunch frequently boasted about his abilities despite being so new to the area. Kirby also recalled that Dunch's skills in the operating room left much to be desired. As Kirby put it, quote, he could not wield a scalpel. Oof. Right? (laughs) But that goes back to the, like, so many people see... Like how shitty he is, mm-hmm. but man, he could play things. How does he keep getting him right there? <laughs> how does he keep know. getting? Like, how is he not fired? Like, if if someone who's an established well, surgeon okay. says, like, you kind of suck, right? But there is a difference between working for a hospital or something like that and just having privileges at that hospital. Yeah, that is so, different. So he only had privileges at this hospital, which means that... Oh, I thought he was working there. It kind of means like they're part-time. Like, if I... He get, brings his own clients. Yeah. He just, like... He's able to... Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. Or if uh, we have a patient that comes in and all of our doctors are busy, we can call right. you. We can make a referral. And, and this okay. is where he does his surgeries, not where he sees his patients. Like his initial... 
patients. So um, he was able to lure patient after patient under his knife with his extreme confidence. Dr. Mark Hoyle, another vascular surgeon who worked with him during one of his botched procedures, told D Magazine that he would make extremely arrogant announcements such as, quote, everybody is doing it wrong. I'm the only clean, minimally invasive guy in the whole state. Ah, yeah, that, that <laughs> just said, that screams ego. You mean like a smell I would be good? like, all right, the only one have you been to the whole state, dude? Yeah, like the only one. There's a bunch of buildings got this shit wrote on the front of it. You yeah. don't think somebody else has figured it out? You yeah. big foreheaded bitch. <laughs> Look, yeah. here's my thing. If you, uh, I, I, I've seen supervisory ER docs talk with ER residences. Now you got to remember, these guys are at the end of their residency. They've been doing this for eight years plus by 13 years. You've been studying medicine and they come into the ER with an ER doc that's been there for five years after the residency. So they've been there for 18 years. They've seen, I'm telling you, in a big city ER, it is a magical place where babies are born, bottles are pulled out of butts and lives are saved, gunshots. I mean, you have, it's insanity what happens in an emergency room. And for any doctor to come in there at the end of his residency to get a brand new job at an ER, you are the rookiest rookie mm-hmm. in rookie town. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up. Stand back. You you haven't been to the front lines, dude. Yeah. So don't come in here swinging your big old fucking <laughs> dong around like you own this place. You do not. So uh, I want to make it clear. At this point, he is working at two different places. He is at Baylor Plano. Sure. And he's at this minimally invasive spine institute. So he performed one surgery at this minimally invasive spine institute and was fired. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. Like, you no longer have privileges here. <laughs> I don't. God. I don't How know. How bad do you have to fuck up? But that's a good thing. Um, like, they saw it, it and they were like, okay, get out. Well, but here's the thing. <laughs> he, he wasn't fired for what you think he would be fired for. So what happened was he did a surgery. Apparently everything went fine, but then he just left and went to Las Vegas and and didn't tell anyone about his patient and didn't leave anyone to take care of his patient. Oh my God. Did they just go into a room and they're like, this yes. room's supposed to be empty. Close up. We're going to Atlantic City. <laughs> Who's in there? Yeah. So With these hands, I can't lose. So, <laughs> Waste no time. So who knows how long that patient was in there not being looked after before. Jesus. God, that's Fuck. awful. I imagine this is turn the lights out. Yeah. Everybody going to back to sleep. Do I just yeah. get up or do what? I have to like take aspirin or something? Can I go? Pain? No one's told me anything. <laughs> Nurse walks by. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Get out of here. Yeah. So Why's he- your butt out? <laughs> <laughs> See your ass, man. Put some pants on. So he might, have been, he might have been fired from the Institute, but he was still a surgeon at Baylor Plano. Mm. Yeah. Jesus and <laughs> I want to... Um, I can't believe those two institutions didn't talk to each other. That's well, the thing why would they? But they do all the time. That, you think that, hospitals don't talk to each other? You would think just at apparently least the workers not back would in the day. talk to each other. Surely I mean, you talk to other people well, in the medical field. Um, and I do want to put in here, uh, well, a lot of people don't know that I worked as a surgical assistant for a year here in one of these big old hospitals up here. Um, but I wanted to, for the people who don't know what goes on in an OR, I wanted to let you know who all is in an OR before we start jumping into these cases. When you're in an OR and surgery is taking place, you, you usually have your surgeon, 
right? Maybe an assisting surgeon or a PA. Then you got your scrub tech um, or your surgical tech. You got one or two surgical assistants, which is what I did. Um, an anesthesiologist and their tech. And depending on the surgery, like what kind of surgery it is, you might also have like a cardiac perfusionist, an RN. Um, but it is definitely like a whole ass team of people. They all have different skills. They all have different jobs. Um, when you're in there, though, keep in mind that the surgeon is is basically God. You don't talk to your surgeon. You don't question your surgeon. No. You, you hand them what they need to be handed, and that's pretty much all there is to it. For a person to question their surgeon... It's got to be either an outlandish thing is happening that you cannot imagine this surgeon doesn't see. And you have to say something. Um, Because people have gotten fired for way less out of the OR for questioning their surgeon. And And that is why a lot of people in an operating room do not question their surgeon and they do not push it because they don't want to get fired. When I was on my clinical rounds, I watched an ortho surgeon do a knee replacement. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were eight people in the room, all doing their different jobs, and then me in the corner makes nine, and then the surgeon made ten. Yeah, there's a lot of people in there. It's just a knee replacement is mm-hmm. what everybody kept telling me. This will be so boring. It's no big deal. They just cut his leg off. Put Ortho is awesome. It's, it, it is. It was it's not insane. boring at all. It was yeah. insane. We won't go into that, but it was banana bread. But I remember during the procedure, uh, the anesthesiologist had an ear pod in. Yeah. Now, anesthesiologists are super expensive people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, they are. Yeah. They're, they're right under surgeon, but you're still under the surgeon. Yeah. He had an AirPod in, and the surgeon... While he was working on the knee right before close, he could hear that guy's music like mm-hmm. behind him. And he turned around and he was like, he didn't say his name. He didn't address him. Any, he just looked in his eyes and said, take your fucking AirPod out. Yeah. And an anesthesiologist said, yes, sir. Took it out, well, turned it yeah. off, put it in his pocket. And that's, and that's it the was, thing. It, yeah. it had this weight to it. Like the way it that does. he said it was like, you will never do medicine again. Well, and Take it's, your fucking AirPod and out. It's yeah, and it's not like. Oh. Like my skin gets goosebumps right now just thinking about it because it was insane. And it's not like you have the same team every time you go in there. You might have a different anesthesiologist with a different surgeon. You might have people that's never worked together before. It's whoever is available to go into that surgery at the time. Unless you have a surgeon who has brought his own whoever. Yes. And I was going to ask that. Do these people work for the hospital or do they work for the surgeon? So the, like in his yes, scenario. Yes, they work for the hospital and he brings himself to do his surgery with his patient and they supply the staff mm-hmm. because they're going to get an amount of yeah. what his surgery is bringing in. Mm-hmm. So if he charges $300,000 or whatever for the surgery, that hospital is going to get, say, $100,000 for letting him use their facility and their staff. Okay. So, But he didn't have his own staff, right? No, he He's didn't. always no. using someone else's? Yes. He, so when he worked at Baylor, he used Baylor staff and, and wherever else he went. He never had his own staff. He never had his own surgical tech or, you know, anything like that. So Still losing it away, games. Yeah, yeah. The first patient of Dr. Dunch was Kenneth Fennell. He was left with chronic pain after Dunch operated on the wrong part of his back. 
Due to debilitating pain, Fennell later had a second operation by Dunch to relieve it, left him paralyzed in his legs. Oh, oh man. Fennell required months, months and months of rehab to be able to walk just with a cane and was left unable to walk more than 30 feet or stand more than like five minutes at a time before he had to sit down again. Uh, and that was just, just jumping into it. The second patient, Lee Passmore. We are now at December 2011, just so you know. Um, a Collin County medical investigator experienced uh, chronic back pain and limited mobility after Dunch cut a ligament, which was not normally touched during that particular procedure. And that vascular surgeon that I mentioned earlier that said he was really arrogant, Mark Hoyle, he assisted during this operation. And he later recalled that Dunch seemed oblivious to considerable bleeding. He would later testify that he observed Dunch cut out a ligament around the spinal cord that isn't normally even touched in the back surgery. He misplaced hardware in Passmore's spine. He actually stripped the screws that that hardware would go into to keep it in place. He stripped that screw so it couldn't be moved. He placed those screws in the wrong locations. It made Passmore bleed out. It would have made him bleed out if it would have been removed. So they had to leave it in there. So he became so disturbed by Dunch's actions during the surgery that at one point he physically restrained him. He later told Dunch to his face that he was dangerous and that his behavior had led Hoyle to wonder about his own sanity and that, like, is no one seeing what's happening here? Am I the only person seeing this? He thought that he was insane. Um, Lee Passmore has crippling nervous, uh, nerve spasms to this day due to the needless removing of parts of his spine. And he can barely speak without that being prominent in his speech. The, the guy that was assisting. Hoyle. Would he not make, Hoyle. make a case at that point for like, what is it, malpractice, I guess? So um, he could have made a complaint at that point. Uh but really the only the only person to make a complaint to. He could have made one to Baylor um, for them to revoke his privileges there. He could have also made one to the medical board. So yeah. tell us about tell us about this doctor. I don't think he did. Tell tell us about time. what this doctor's job was. This doctor was a vascular surgeon. Okay. He was there to assist during the surgery. You know, in case he puts a screw in the wrong place and it makes him bleed out. Yeah. Nice. Um, he couldn't fix anything because by the time that it had happened, like he put these screws in the wrong spot and then he stripped them out. By the time that he realized what was happening, it was like, well, you have to leave them in there. He's going to bleed out. They can't be removed. I can that's, understand all, all that. That's like, insane to me. In the, in the moment, and, and it's like, all right, this guy messed up. I, you know, We got to leave it. We got to make it best, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, con- he, uh, damage control. I why there was a third patient. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Is why there was a third patient? I believe that he <laughs> did he, at if one he point physically restrained him. Yeah, he did do that at one point. Like, as in, if if you don't stop touching this patient, like, please stop and let me finish up because you obviously don't know what you're doing. But then, as a surgical assistant. I'm sitting here watching two surgeons fight each other, <laughs> and I don't know which one is correct. Yeah, I'm not and laying so, any blame I mean, on them. Yeah, you know. 
So, I mean, I, I didn't see anywhere at this time where this surgeon made any sort of complaint about him at this point in time. It's so weird. Cutting ligaments, it's cutting so parts I'll of the you, spine. I'll but I'm not going to tell anybody yeah. about it. Well, this. I think also <laughs> that they thought that possibly they thought that he was un- under the influence. So they could think, oh, he's just messed <laughs> well, up. But I mean, he's he a great s- surgeon when he's over this is just uh, this is just speculation. Just yeah. throw that out there because yeah. he was on drugs. So well, at this time, no one was aware of that at Baylor okay. Plano. Okay, no so, one was aware of it. So the 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 first patient we had. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the error. What what did he do to the first patient? The first patient was Kenneth Fennell. Hey. He cut parts of the back. So let's say point A is where the surgery is supposed to take place. Sure. He didn't even touch point A, and he moved over here and was working on point B, and so it he, wasn't even supposed to be touched. So he cut in the wrong place on the first one. What yeah. did he do on the second one? So the second one, he cut a ligament okay. around the spinal cord Oof. that's not even supposed to be touched during the surgery or at all. Or ever in your life. He misplaced hardware. He put the hardware in places that it wasn't supposed to be. And then stripped the heads off the screws and then, yes, yes. Almost like he wanted to see what would happen if he... He also, he also ignored ble- like uh, excessive bleeding during the surgery, which is the other vascular surgeon's or, job, right? To go in there and mitigate. Um, let's just say hence uh, the fist fight, <laughs> yeah, blood pressure. Yeah, fuck no when you have so you have the patient hooked up to all these monitors and everything in there, and there is a blood pressure monitor. Correct. There, there has to be. So when the patient starts bleeding, you lose blood pressure. Correct. That's when that monitor starts going beep, 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 like you're, something's wrong. And those aren't anything like the ones I use in the truck that just take a blood pressure with right. the cuff like exactly. at Walmart every yeah. three minutes. Completely different, yeah. This is a different piece of machinery right. called an arterial bloodline. So what it is is a small sensor is placed in an artery in your body that constantly, instantly updates the blood pressure. Okay. So it's not like he had to wait for a cycle no, to know didn't. if it dipped. No. It's telling him right now. Hey, right he's now, dipping. Live. He's dipping right yeah. now. And apparently what happened was is that when the when he started dipping, people this and this other surgeon were saying, Hey, we probably need to see if there's some bleeding, control that bleeding. And he literally said nothing. He just completely ignored everyone in the room well, and continued to do what he was doing. Remember, sociopaths don't have empathy, so they don't understand yeah suffering of others so no. they don't get it no no which is good god yeah. so to him it's just a status report blood pressure drop it could be a bug <laughs> on the floor he's done he's done his job fuck him yeah yeah god damn <laughs> but i mean but that's a sociopath that, yeah so jesus christ all right scary so we're gonna move on to the next patient this was january 2012 this guy's name was barry Molgoloff. And he was the owner of a pool service company. Um, he went to Dunch for a spinal fusion. Okay. So this is a procedure that joins two vertebrae together using a metal plate. He got a referral to his pain clinic. Okay. So during the surgery, he was left with bone fragments from this vertebrae lodged into the spinal cord and nerves of his back. Oh, God. After Dunch tried to pull the disc out, 
with a grabbing tool like used by an orthopedic surgeon instead of a scalpel, which he probably should have used. So he's literally ripping tissue, ripping a disc out of someone's back, crushing oh bone, God, crushing oh bone, God. shattering the bone, and leaving it there. He just left it there, left it all. It'd be like yeah. if we let Bill do it with a fucking pair of vices. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Get that, get that disc out of there, Bill. Oh yeah, hand me that shop bag. It's like if I told you, <laughs> if I told Bill, I was like, Bill, look, this is what a disc looks like. Take it out. And he was just like, all right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I can Go do get it. my gloves. I, I get it. Almost, yeah, it just seems like he wants to see what happens Hold when, my cigarette. You know. Do you think that maybe that's the psychological aspect? That's what I want. He literally yes. knows so little yeah. about the practice that he's yeah. just like, let's see what happens. Yeah, I really do. I really That's do. what I wondered. If, yeah. if he's just doing it to just see. To just see. Yeah. It's kind of like, imply... like when young children like dissect animals. Just yeah. But does it imply like a... A almost psychopathic concept there. I mean, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like he's so disassociated yeah. from the patient that he's just like, well, "Not my dad." Let's see what happens if I yank this out. But oh, that's, that's the good. thing. Can't put it back. The thing about it is, is that he like has so much charisma when he's like getting these patients. He tells them. I'm the best there is. You're not going to find anybody better than me. I know this surgery inside and out. I'll have you in and out within an hour. You'll have absolutely no more pain when you leave here. Like he sells them what they want to get them into that. And that's so that the narcissism room. comes and in. That's a narcissism. Yeah. See, this is the dichotomy for me of this dunch is that I don't know if it's a actual ignorance but he's so narcissistic that he's already tasted being godlike. Mm-hmm. He's already been in that room, like you know, like uh, uh, everybody has to do what I say all the time. No yeah. one can question me, so he's got he's got to stay there. Yeah, but he doesn't know how to do any of this stuff. So in his mind, does he just go, "All right, well, it's surgery time. I got to do something." Like everybody's looking at me. I don't like, know. Like he just goes in there and does whatever he wants, and then he leaves, and he's like, "All right, you're welcome. I'm the best," and he just leaves again. Like, yeah, I think he. He's, he thinks, I'm a scientist. Science. <laughs> and then he just does well, whatever he wants. He does it and he's out. <laughs> he's like, he you're welcome. He doesn't think he can That'll be touched. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. You're welcome. Yeah. That's Dr. Dunch. Here, I fixed it. You're welcome. And they're like, okay, but you didn't though? Because now he's dead. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> oh, and then he okay. just walks out. Right. Get that body yeah. out of here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for killing him. So he also left... Um, unused hardware in Barry as well. That's a huge, uh, huge thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because, I mean, anything in there that's not supposed to be there that is uh, considered a foreign object like a sponge or unused hardware like screws or bolts, anything like that can cause a horrible infection. Yeah, how and, long and does it take to get septic from that? Not long. Really not long not at all. Not long. Um, septicemia can set on with an outside source of infection within hours. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we've seen patients that just have a Foley catheter back up on them with just a tube that they put in you when you can't pee for mm-hmm. whatever reason, your urethra's collapsed or whatever, and it just collects in a bag. Well, if your sediment from your urine collects on the inside of the walls and that plugs, then your waste begins to back up into your body. And we've seen that, I mean, completely wreck a person in hours. And that's your own Damn. pee. That's not a sponge yeah. that was out yeah. here. And yeah. also, when you were a surgical assistant and they talked about, like, techs and assistants being in that room, 
do they not say out loud how many sponges are present at yes. the beginning oh, and yes. end of the right. Yeah, you have to count yes. everything and, and well, go and, back through it. Yeah. So but, is it like, hey, uh, okay. there's eight screws and there's only four here? And he was like, I'm done. Time out, though. Time out. I'm one. already out. Because the misconception is, is that... You do that while the doctor's in there. That's not what happens. You set up, so the surgical tech sets up for the, the surgeon. And the surgeon doesn't even come in until after the patient has come in. So all of these, this team of people set up everything, bring in the patient, set the patient up. The anesthesiologist comes in. All of this happens before the surgeon ever even comes in. You do your count of your, your tools and your sponges and everything before the surgeon gets there. But the misconception is that... That you're going to count that stuff before the surgeon leaves and you don't you count that you, he's gone once he's done he's like all right close up i'm gone and he just leaves you're left to take that patient back to the room clean up the room count everything then so it could be i mean of course you know we try to do it as fast as possible but it could be 30 minutes later that we're like, uh, there's that sponge. That seems broken. I mean, you can't be like, hey, we're supposed to have four yeah. screws. We only have one. But, I but, are, but are you going to turn around to the surgeon and say, hey, you can't leave right now. We haven't counted the sponges. He's going to be like, fuck you. I got shit to do. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, you know, I lost I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dig him out of this guy for me real quick before you bounce out. <laughs> I mean, there's usually another surgeon that comes in to close, and I guess you could tell him. I mean, well, yeah, but I mean, by and that's usually by like that a time, time resident. if you don't count until after that, I, I'm assuming you're meaning you usually don't count up. until they're closed and everybody's Whoa, gone. Yeah. it's too late. At, at least that's how we did it. I don't know how everybody else does it. That's insane to but me. But it, but yeah. So if at it and hardware, and, not a sponge, a fucking bolt or a yes, screw or a bracket. And we had to go through the chain of command just to report that. So if there was anything missing, we had to go find our immediate supervisor, which was like the RN on staff. And then she would go to so-and-so and then they would go to so-and-so and then they would go to so-and-so. And it's like... And by then dudes woke up yes, screaming. In, in septic shock. Jesus <laughs> Christ. And then we're like, oh, okay, well, we know where it is now, so... Yeah. Oh my God. We found it. It's poking out of his back, <laughs> sir. Yeah. So during this surgery, um, there was, I don't know if anybody has watched the Dr. Death series with Joshua Jackson on Peacock yet. I have seen it. Um, so you have seen it? You did? No, I, I, I actually did watch a little bit of it when okay. we were talking. Did you watch Fringe? Uh, no. Should Do I? you know who Joshua Jackson is? I don't know if anyone has watched that series or not, but Dr. Randall Kirby in that series uh, is played by Christian Slater. And and Dr. Randall Kirby, just, I don't know, sometimes you just like to imagine people. I think it's just people. Slater. <laughs> just, <laughs> so, so Dr. Randall Kirby was actually assisting in this surgery. He was the... the in the one where the hardware got lifted? Yes, this, okay. this last surgery. And this is the same dude that restrained him? No. Okay. Different different That's doctor, how... different surgery. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so he assisted, and he recalled Dunch continued making mistake after mistake after mistake, and he corrected him. He even said that at one point he had to point out the correct anatomy for if, during the surgery. He wow. said... Dunch initially refused to give uh, the patient any pain medicine after he woke up in pain, claiming that he was a drug seeker 
surgery? Yes. Wow, that is, I've never heard of that ever. And and you damn right, I'm a drug yeah. seeker. Right now, Give I am. Give me those goddamn drugs. I want yeah. some drugs. Some goddamn drugs, dude. Yeah. You just cut my back open. Yeah. So and he had even and he had had lost function in one side of his body. He's he still requires a wheelchair to this day. Oh, yeah. Um, the patient Morgoloff re- later recalled that he walked out on a follow up visit with Dunch when Dunch displayed clear signs of being inebriated during the follow up vis- visit. Yeah. Come so on. okay. So by this time he's definitely on drugs. And what year is that? Yeah. This is uh, January two thousand twelve. Man, so what a year after this? he started? This is yeah. Barry Morgoloff. Uh, like three? This is his so third, his third, third surgery at Baylor Plano. insane. Do you like <laughs> surgery from the front? <laughs> <laughs> Back to what I was This is the third surgery, yeah. right? Yeah. At Baylor Plano, yeah. The second time that the uh, assistant, I guess? It, Kirby's the neuro guy, right? Like, he is the spinal so, guy. No, 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 no. Mark Hoyle. And Randall Kirby are both vascular surgeons. Okay. And, okay. This, and both times, yeah. they had to step in and been like, bro, yeah. what the this fuck is are you doing? wrong. Yeah. And yeah. he's still, we're going to continue with a fourth surgery? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Randall Kirby, I mean, he was even like, that's not even, I mean, he had to point out like basic <laughs> anatomy to this and guy. he isn't the spinal guy. He's like, that's bone, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you in his book? He may not have wanted to go to those spots, though, again. You know, uh, even... And where did that referral come from? You, oh, you... Uh, the pain clinic. The pain yes. clinic. That what are they the doing? Pain, the pain well, clinic. They, they do orthopedic pain management. So if you come in, you go, my back hurts all the time because I hurt my back. And they go, okay, well, we know a guy who fixes backs. Yeah. His name yeah. is Dr. Dipshit, and he's right over here. Well, but I mean, and, that, and, yeah. And, what? No, they don't need to know that he's good. Well, no, for, but I mean, for, like, what made them pick him over? A lot of times, um, clinics like that have, like, a Rolodex where they go, okay, we gave okay, this okay. name last time. It just goes out in, like, a circle, you know, All like, right, here's this name, then I here's the next that. name, and here's the next name. Um, but this is actually the first time when anyone tried to report him to the medical board. And it was the patient himself Barry complained to the medical board the patient had to do the it the patient had to do it so yes we've the been patient had to do it two hospitals three boss mm-hmm. surgeries 15 years of incompetence yep. mm-hmm. they, and now we're being reported I'm now never... we're being reported by the patient there was an investigation into the case and get this the medical board determined that the standard of care was met that was so the medical I'm never board going to could a save again. face, though. That had nothing That's to do. That's exactly what I had nothing to do with that. I have to agree so that they could but avoid that makes it even shittier, though. So they could avoid that a they want to save face. Yeah. That's even yeah. worse. It they, is worse, but that's they want to avoid a loss. The name of the game. Yeah, medical, and of course retain that expensive. highly specialized caregiver. He's not specialized. No, he's not. He's con man. Exactly. I'm specialized on paper. I'll go write it up right now. You honestly would probably be better. It sounds like you can't spell. (laughs) No, I cannot spell. I'll write it for you. Yeah. All right. right. We're good. All right. Let's do this. Yeah. I'll make $500,000 a year. We're getting into the bigger part of it of the American healthcare system and what we need to change about that. You've reached the end of our episode. 
All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?